I'm your host, Navy SEAL motivational speaker, best-selling author for adults and kids, human performance coach, and YouTube personality, David Rutherford. For the past 25 years, I've been exploring and researching the human condition in my attempt to discover what enables individuals and teams to succeed in every environment imaginable. What I've discovered are some undeniable truths about what drives humans to succeed and fail physically, mentally, and spiritually. I call these discoveries the frog logic concepts. That's right, Navy SEAL motivational training at its finest. My podcast has one mission, and that's to help you ignite the fire in your gut so you too can lead an ultra-motivated, purposeful life like I do. So stand by, because it's time to get motivated. Hoo-yah! All right, this is an extra special episode, ladies and gentlemen. I got to tell you, I've been waiting for a whole week to put this thing out, chomping at a bit, staying up late at night, just excited to deliver you a whole idea that failure is awesome, right? And that we learn from our failure in ways that you can't even possibly fathom and dream of. But failure is awesome. It teaches us all these incredible, amazing things that simply just, they they help us evolve. They allow us to grow and become better, uh, better individuals, better teammates, better family members. All the things that we need in order to succeed. Now you're asking yourself, right, man. That's pretty kooky because, you know, I've been following you for years on Navy SEAL radio podcasts. I've been following your stuff on on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and all your motivational posts. And I got to tell you, you failing is a little challenging to believe. But I'll tell you what, ladies and gentlemen, I failed like a champ. A week ago, last Friday, man. I had a dream opportunity come true. A dream opportunity come true. I was uh, selected and, and asked and requested to go and give a TEDx talk. That's right, a TEDx talk. And everybody, if, if you don't know, I'll, I'll explain it here what a TEDx talk. But for those of you who do know, yeah, it's a big friggin' deal, right? So I had been chosen, asked to go do it, and and I had the opportunity, and and I got up there, and 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 I'd worked on this amazing speech, and that I'd been working on this researching for a year, and then I put this thing together, and and I got up there in front of all these people, and I bombed it. That's right, I bombed it. That's and and that's the deal. I truly fell on my face and bombed this thing in such a way that I'll tell you what, it was, it was, it was a, it was a spectacle. (laughs) It was epic. So today's show, the title of, of today's, the Frog Logic podcast, this is show four, by the way, and thank you for all those who are tuning in and getting fired up and paying attention, but this is show four and the title of today's show is how I bombed my TEDx talk and what I learned. <laughs> this is awesome, man. I, I'm, I'm digging this because I think what I learned, what I process is going to help all of you in a very significant way. It's gonna, You're going to find some true motivation in this, man. And, and it's, it's going to get you fired up to recognize that failure is a part of life. And the things that you can learn from failure are actually the greatest lessons you'll ever learn in life. And, and so that's why I'm here to show it. 
and share it with you. Because I believe that we need to pass the word and share our, our failures as much as our successes for with one another. Because if you ever tune into my podcast and you listen to me or you watch my videos or anything, I'm never going to tell you, hey, guess what? I can teach you how to get six-minute abs. Or I'm going to help you make a million dollars in a month. Or just lie to you. Right? Because that's not what I'm going to do. In fact, I'm going to do the opposite. I'm going to tell you what, guess what? The defining, one of the defining lessons that I've learned in this life in my 25 years of exploring and researching the human condition is life is hard. Always, endless, no matter what, life is hard. And you need to learn the skill sets in order to deal with it. And one of the greatest skills that you can learn is that failure is awesome. It teaches you so many critical aspects of success and and resiliency and willpower and who your team is and all these amazing things. So, folks, it's okay to fail. It's actually really, really good for you. All right, so let's get into this. And I, all right, let's do a little background so you guys can better conceptualize what I'm talking about here, okay? All right, so one of the things you got to totally realize is I've been a TED Talk fan for since about 08. Now, if you're not, if you have no idea what TED is or TED Talk or any of that thing, that's cool, no big deal. I mean, there are a lot of people out there and dig it, all right? Uh, the, the deal of it is, is that TED is uh, this amazing conference that started back in 84 and really came into an annual conference in 90. Uh, and the and what TED stands for, it's an acronym for Technology Entertainment Design. And it was this, this concept for these architects and they got together and they said, hey, let's bring together some of these greatest people on the planet and let's, uh, you know, let's bring in the, the most, the smartest people out there, like, uh, you know, let's bring in Jay Goodall, Jane Goodall, Gordon Brown, Billy Graham, Richard Dawkins, Bill Gates, Bono, Mike Rowe, Larry Page, all these amazing Nobel Prize winners, uh, all these amazing cats out there. Let's get them give a TED talk about their ideas because their whole slogan is ideas worth spreading. And so I became a fan of this thing in 08. And man, when I first started seeing it, it was like, it blew me away. There are these, the whole concept is that you have eight, a speaker comes in, they have 18 minutes, just enough time. And they looked at all the research about how people can pay attention, how long they're engaged and all this. And they figured 18 minutes was just long enough to engage somebody with some good intel. And then was just short enough to where they didn't fall asleep if you stunk, right? (laughs) Um, so it, it's really amazing thing, and it's it, you know they've they've saying now they've got over twenty one hundred talks uh, that they've posted on ted ted dot com. Uh, they've had you know just uh, you know like a, thousands of speakers, uh, and ultimately this thing grew up into a, such a, a huge thing that uh, TEDx this offshoot of it where these independently sponsored and licensed concepts uh, started and they they started branding the concept of TED around globally. And it's really cool, really an amazing idea uh, that they've done. And so all around the world, these TEDx have popped up and they even have TED Global in, in, in uh, India, Brazil, uh, all over the place, Africa. I mean, every major continent, they do a TED Talk. 
And what's happened is it's really become this amazing opportunity for individuals from all markets, from all industries, from all walks of life to get on on a stage and present their ideas worth spreading. And so here I am. I'm this massive fan of TED. I'm an unbelievable. I, I'm totally committed. I love it. I mean, I, I share them on my YouTube channel all the time. I, I, I promote it. I, I'm, I'm just like, hey, man, have you seen the TED talk on the woman who's a neurologist or neuroscientist and she has a you know, has a, a, a total meltdown and has a stroke and then is able to do this? Or have you seen Tony Robbins' TED talk? Or I just was a huge fan and promoted it. And so when I became a speaker, you can imagine one of the great hopes and dreams that I would have would to finally get an opportunity to give a TED talk. And and you know what? After refining my own profession and getting better and better and better, uh, you know, by God's grace, this opportunity happened. And it was a few months, probably four months ago, five months ago, I was given this huge uh, talk up in Orlando for Morgan Stanley, and it was awesome. I mean, I was I was delivering it. I got up there. I crushed this thing as I typically do with all my Frog Logic talks. And if you want to know more about me and what I speak about, the different concepts, just visit teamfroglogic.com. That's teamfroglogic.com. Go to corporate speaking or speaking or whatever, and all my videos are there. What I talk about, uh, my uh, all the uh, you can see a PDF of of what I talk about, all the different topics, and you can you know if you're interested, man, have me come and, and speak to your organization, and and I'll talk to. Listen, I'm passionate about. It. I I've literally in my past, I believe that this is an opportunity for me that I was called to do this to spread a message of frog logic and to teach people how to embrace fear and forge their self-confidence, live a team life and to live with purpose and to, and to spread a message of love right from their hearts. And so I've, I've, I think I've done pretty good, man. I've built up a great reputation and I get, I work with some of the biggest companies in the world, a fortune 100 companies, fortune 50 companies. And I, I help these people understand the power of, of, you know, think a frogman mindset. And, and how they can implement some these very core concepts that I've extrapolated from from our storied past, you know, 70 years of operational uh, training and elite performance in the SEAL teams. And that's what Frog Logic is. So you can imagine when I give this talk, this Morgan Stanley talk, my team life talk, I blow the doors out, man. People are uh, standing ovation. They're going nuts. Yeah. And afterwards, this guy comes up who's got a Morgan Stanley branch down here in Boca Raton, where I'm from. And he comes up and he's like, hey, Rut, that, that blew me away. Literally, that blew me away. That was the best talk I've ever heard in my life. I would love it. You know, I, I, I sponsor TEDx Boca. I, I would love it if, if, if you came and we'd love to have you in this year's show. And, and it's kind of ironic because last year's show I had I'd sent in and submitted as a potential to be there, which is just a joke because they, they, they pick and choose whoever they want anyway. So just makes you feel like you're connected. But I'll get into that here in a second. And I, I was like, really? Are you kidding me? And, and they're like all around me. Oh, 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 and the heavens opened up and the, and the shine was on me. And I was like, man, this is happening, dude. I'm going to get to do a TEDx talk. 
whoa, I'm going to get to get on stage and share my ideas and, and, and how, how I think with, and spread this message. And man, this is going to be glorious. Absolutely, sir. I would love to participate in 10. I'm a huge fan. And it was this great, you know, hug fest, right? This bro fest. And I was stoked, man. And it was amazing. And like all this hard work, 10 years of becoming a good speaker, great speaker, and really pushing frog logic and, and really working on these ideas and these kind, I mean, studying them in depth, you know, to combine with my background as a SEAL instructor and medic and operator and an international training specialist with Blackwater and, and, uh, for the U S government. I mean, I've been around, I've taught a lot of things. I've seen a lot of perspective of the human condition, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Plus, I've researched it in ways that you can only dream of because I have a reference base that's true. Like all these academics, a lot of these guys out there are, are taking these short little groups of pe- 500 people and then coming up with these theories and calling it, you know, truth and science. And I look sometimes at these things and I'm like, that's, that's a bunch of horseshit. Sorry, sorry, excuse my French, but man, you're missing some stuff. So fast forward, here I am. Guy invites me to be part of TEDx Boca. I'm super fired up. I'm totally stoked. I'm like, all right. So he says, hey, well, listen, our program director is going to reach out and contact you. And she's going to, you know, connect with you and, and, and work with you. I was like, roger that, fired up. So come home from that event and about a week or so goes by and and this person emails me and gets in touch and I'm super fired up and we set up a call and we have our first call. Now, mind you, before I get into this section of the podcast, I want you to know me failing on that stage was 100% my fault. Nobody else is responsible. Nobody else played, you know, played a role. I bombed on that stage and I can proudly with a smile on my face, with my head held high, my chest bowed out, I can say, yep, that was all me. I bombed my TEDx talk, plain and simple. But when I went back and analyzed some things, you got to be look at the history of what? Because performance is about a bunch of different things that are involved. And anybody who's been at high levels of performance and I think I've, I've reached a, a certain pinnacle anytime you have to put your life on the line in order to succeed. I think you have a very clear perspective of, of performance and what's required, right? And now that I teach it as well, too. So I look back at this whole thing. And I remember the first call and I was super stoked to work with this person and I didn't know anything about her and I never heard of her, never nothing and all that. So I get on the phone and at the court, you know, the, the formality, yeah, how you doing? I really appreciate this really good. And, and, and right away she goes, listen, I got to let you be honest with you. I was a little against having you on at TEDx Boca. And I was like, uh, uh, I'm sorry, excuse me, excuse me. Yeah, yeah, listen, um, we normally, it's it's against the entire TED uh, talk uh, thing that uh, motivational speakers are a part of it. 
it's just not something they like to do. And so it's not something we do. And it's really many times it just comes across and it's not very good for the audience. Uh, so I just want to let you know that this is, if this is a problem for you, that we're not looking for a motivational speech from you. If this is a problem, then, you know, hey, you know, maybe we should, we should rethink or, or, you know, is this going to be, is this going to be challenge? Is this going to be okay for you? This is not what we want. We don't want you to give a motivational speech. And I go, uh, oh, oh, okay. Um, it's not really what I do anyways. Um, you know, I, I don't know if you talked to the guy who saw me, who invited me to be here, but uh, I, I, that's not kind of what I do. I'm not like a rah-rah guy. I mean, there's some excitement, but... You know, I really challenge people to think internally and introspect. Yeah, I, I, I hear you, and I watched a bunch of your videos, and okay, but listen, uh, you know, it's just not what we do. So, you know, doing a TED Talk is really, you know, let me explain to you how TEDx, how TED Talks work, and let me explain. It's an 18-minute format, and and this is, meanwhile— I've I've watched at least a thousand TED Talks. I've read a book called Talk Like Ted. I've I've watched some of these things multiple times. I reference them in my podcast. I mean, I'm as educated on TED as any human being I've ever met. So she starts giving me these lessons. And and like I mean, this is what it is, and this is what you can and can't do, and all this, and this is what we're looking for. And I'm like, um, you know, I, I, let me just, can I, I, I don't mean to interrupt you, but I'm a huge fan of Ted. I'm really privileged. I understand. Um, you know, I, I get what they want and, but, uh, you know, I also understand that they really ask people who have a speciality to come in and really deliver messages that are core to them. And, and if I'm not mistaken, but the, probably the second biggest Ted talk or the third biggest Ted talk ever was Tony Robbins TED talk in San Francisco, right? And yeah, yeah, but uh yeah, that that wasn't uh yeah, but no, we don't, you know, that was an anomaly. He's Tony Robbins and you know, not that you're not Tony Robbins, but uh you know, it's just uh we don't like that. So, you know, really one of the things I'm going to tell you right now, David, is uh we you can't mention Frog Logic, you can't talk about Frog Logic, you can't uh reference your company, you can't talk tell anybody you're a motivational speaker, you can't uh you can't, you can't, you can't, you can't, you can't. So right then and there, folks, my gut starts flipping. It starts giving me that. Like it's like red flags are going up. I'm starting to feel this. I'm like, my goodness gracious me, what's happening? But I, I drove on. And I was like, okay, okay, I understand that. Sure, I won't talk about, I won't mention Frog Logic. I won't talk about my company. Uh, I, I'm, I've been working on this concept. I've been researching this concept about the culture of team, where great elite teams come from, how they're, what, how they're built, how they're forged, what a, you know, all this. And she goes, uh, yeah, that sounds interesting. Um, yeah, well, but you and I, I'm going to need to work with you extensively to help you, you know, really formulate your ideas and all that. And I go, you know, I'm sorry, but you know, I, I, I you know, I did 70 professional events this year. I mean, this is what I do, and and I, you know, I I appreciate your your help and your your advice, but you know, I, I am a professional speaker. Go, oh yeah, I know, I'm one too. I'm a professional speaker too. I I get it. Uh, yeah, I do. I'm I'm on this. I I do in this uh, this speakers bureau or this speakers group, and oh yeah, I do it. I I know, but TEDx TEDx is different. 
TEDx is different. You really, you really need to get on board and, and listen to what I have to say. Oh, uh, okay. All right. All right. Well, thank you. Well, let me, let me work on the concept and come back. And all right, click. I'm thinking, my God, what, what, what just happened here? Wait a minute. This, is this the way it is? Is this the way the TED brand is distributed or delivered? Is this how it is? Is maybe uh, it's all an illusion? Uh, maybe <laughs> maybe it's not what I thought it was. And all you know, because listen, this ain't my first rodeo, right? And so I, I get it. So right off the bat, man, I'm I'm doubting whether or not this was a good decision. So, anyways, I'm gonna drive forward because it's a TEDx talk. I'm gonna supplant suppress all my internal gut reaction, my understanding of human nature and human condition. I'm just gonna put that away. And I'm going to move forward. And so I started working on it. And now uh, I get my e- an email from her. And she sends me an email. And she goes, you know, I need uh, a bio from you. 250 words, a bio. Uh, don't mention, you know, all this in a little email. And so I'm like, okay. So I go to the TEDx Boca page. And I look at the other bios on there. And six out of the 12 or 15 they had, people start their bios out with, oh, I'm a professional speaker. I work with some of the biggest companies speaking. I deliver my message all over the world. So now I'm like, whoa, what's going on here? This is bizarre. How am I supposed to write a bio if I can't tell what I do? So I, you know, all right, I, I go back, I try and do it. And I'm like, you know what? This is ridiculous. This ain't, this is not fair. And I'm, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to push back a little, which is completely normal. And it's just, you know, it's what you got to do for yourself in certain circumstances. So I, I wrote this bio and I sent it to her and her responsiveness was just abominable anyway. So a few days later, whatever, I hear back from her finally. And she goes, this is all wrong. Let's set up a talk. So I get on the phone with her again. She goes, this is, this is unsat. She goes, listen, you, you cannot tell anybody you're a motivational speaker. You cannot describe frog logic. You cannot mention it. And I'm like, you know, hey, listen, this is what I do. I, I went to your website and I looked at all these other and six out of your 12 speakers are telling people they're professional speakers. And she says, oh, no, no, I just haven't corrected those yet. I haven't seen those yet, uh, but I'm going to correct all those and all this. And she's like, listen, if you put this, you can put this, but Ted will not allow your video to get posted on the website. And I'm like, excuse me? She's like, yes, Ted, Ted.com will not allow your video to get posted. I go, uh, oh, oh, the video. She's like, yes, the whole thing is, is really, you know, it's, yes, it's about the event, but it's all about getting, uh, my, my mission is to get your video on ted.com on the homepage. So you can get potentially millions of viewers and we can, you can expose yourself to people that you would never dream of and all this. Meanwhile, I've got 2.5 million views on my videos on YouTube. I've got over a million downloads on my podcast. Uh, I do 70 events a year. I probably reach 20,000 people live audience here. So I'm like, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, wow, this whole thing in her mind is, is, is for the video. Uh, oh wow, this is heavy. Uh, all right, well, uh, you know, I don't. You know, okay, well, all right, I'll, I'll I'll tone it down. But I, you know, so then I, you know, she hammers me again about not using frog logic, not talking about it, not telling people what I do, and and, and so we hung up. And again, now, man, my gut is on fire, and it ain't. It's like boom, 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 like the war marches of the Mongols, right? I'm feeling that, and it's telling me. 
back out. You don't need to do it. It ain't the right time. It ain't the right, all this, no, 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 no. I'm good. Don't worry, Rod. You're good. It's going to work out. You're going to crush it. Don't worry about her. <laughs> okay, check Roger. Fast forward. I redo it. I said, screw it. I'm going to just post. I'm going to do it. So I sent it out. She she wouldn't, you know, she it follows through. I think she'd pass it off, turn it on to somebody. So as we move forward, and then the next call I finally get, and I tell her, all right, she goes, what's the name of your topic? And I go, the name of my topic is, uh, you know, the elite, you know, the elite, uh, uh, Team, the, the culture of team. That was the first title, the culture of team. She's like, that'll never get viewed. Nobody will ever watch your video. It's never going to go anywhere with that talk. You got to do something incredibly unique. You got to do something that's different. You got to, you know, put something that's whatever. And, and meanwhile, I figured she would say this. So I'd gone to the TED.com webpage and looked at all the talks that were there and looked at the titles. And there were some basic titles, man. And they had a ton of views and all this. And so I was just like, whoa. Again, she's hammering me. And now I'm starting to go, all right, this, there's something more going on here. I don't know what it is. I can't put my finger on it. I don't get it. And then the bombshell comes out. And she goes, you know, listen, David, I, I just want to tell you, uh, you're only going to have 12 minutes. I want you to do it in 12 minutes. And I go... Uh, yeah, I, I, oh yeah, I don't think I'm going to be able to do 12 minutes. You know, I, I thought I'd probably, you know, try and get like, you know, 16, 17, right before the 18. She goes, no, you're not hearing me. You're only going to have 12 minutes. And I go, uh, I, I thought Ted talks were 18 minutes. Uh, yeah, they are typically, but because we're adding you, we have additional speakers. We have too many speakers for the night. Um, you only have 12 minutes. Now, imagine with all the stuff that you've heard when they come out and said you only have 12 minutes, 12 minutes. Now, mind you, you guys got to understand, I normally speak for 60, 70, 80, 90 minutes. Hell, I've done full day seminars with organizations before. When I coach people, I'll spend a full day with them. She goes, you have 12 minutes. I don't like your topic. You can't talk about motivation or what you do. I hate your topic. And it just kept coming and coming. Finally, I'm like, listen, you, you know, uh, uh, wow. I, I don't, I, I, do other people only have 12 minutes? Oh, yes. Yes. Who, you know, who are you giving? Uh, I, you know, that's, you know, that's, I'm coaching everybody. Hey, listen, this is my TEDx conference. I sponsor it. It's on me. If I have to control what goes on, I mitigate what happens. I'm like, oh, wow. All right. Uh, okay. Again, in my head, you know, now it's sirens, like like incoming sirens that I used to hear in Afghanistan when I was deployed, right? You know, like, all right, we're getting rocket attacked it now. Get out, David. Get out, run. Turn and run. Break contact. <laughs> but nope, nope. Drive on. I'm going to make it happen. I can do this. I can do this. I can push forward. It's a TEDx talk. Damn it. I've got to do it. Meanwhile, I'm working on the speech. I'm, I'm, now I'm just like, I, okay. And I'm figuring in my mind. So finally we hang up and we're moving closer to this thing. And now we're a couple weeks away and I'm getting, I've got a, the gist of my talk. It's about 15 minutes and I'm working with friends who are helping me work on it. And I've got the main concept and I, you know, I come back and I've reworked a title that I think she might like and, and it's really dialed in and. 
and man, I'm feeling good. I'm finally feeling in a good place and I'm ready to go. And then finally, my last talk with this woman was two weeks prior to talk. I'm out in Vegas doing an event for a big organization out there. And I was on the phone with the speakers bureau and I see this woman call, which is a rarity. And so I immediately hang up. I get on the phone. And meanwhile, to back up, I just want to tell you, when she told me I had only 12 minutes, that night I couldn't sleep. So I ended up reading every rule that's posted on the TED.com website, every single rule for TEDx uh, affiliate programs. And there was not a single line anywhere that the organizer of the event could mandate a shorter period of time. 18 minutes was 18 minutes. And and so I actually wanted to check on this, make sure I wasn't going cross-eyed. So I wrote TED.com and I said, I emailed them and said, hey, I'd just recently been chosen and, and accepted to do a TEDx talk. And I'm, I'm curious, my organizer is mandating that I only have 12 minutes. Is this normal? And I, back comes a, 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 a talk, uh, an email promptly and very nice and says, dear Mr. Rutherford, thank you for reaching out. Uh, congratulations on being chosen for a TEDx talk. Uh, but uh, organizers uh, are not, we do not dictate that organizers mandate a lesser time than 18 minutes. But we do suggest that organized organize, try and suggest and coach uh, d- depending upon what they're, or what they're looking for in their event. As politically correct as you've ever heard in your friggin' life, man. That's what I got. No stance, no nothing, nothing at all. Nothing to get me to push back, nothing. So I was like, all right, so they're not going to help. You know what? And my wife the whole time is like, David, just calm down. You're getting out of control. You're being distracted from the, uh, this great experience. You're, you're missing the point. Stay focused. Roger that, sweetie. I, that's why she's the admiral, right? That's why my incredible bride is the admiral. So I come back, and now I'm working it. And so, I, like I said, I'm in Vegas. I'm on the phone. I see her call. I hang up. I pick it up. I'm like, hey, how's it going? You know, thanks for reaching out. And she goes, listen, uh, I just want to reaffirm again, you know, I, I just got to let you know I was contacted by TED.com. And they said they are voicing concerns that uh, you're not going to deliver a message uh, that is going to be suitable for the TEDx brand or the TED brand. Come again? Um, y- yes, I was contacted by them and and everybody's a little nervous, uh, including me, that uh, you are going to um, get up there and promote your business and you're going to be motivational and you're going to talk about Frog Logic and all and I go, excuse me? And I go, are you serious? Are you really saying this now? She goes, listen, listen, I, I have a concern. And, and this is my event. I own it. It's my event. I've run it for years. I've been very successful. This is me. I control. If, if Listen, if you don't think, if, like, you, you got it. This is up. It's on me. It's on me. And, and Ted will shut you down. will shut your video down. It's all on me. Listen. I it, you know I go excuse me listen let me tell you something ma'am all right here's the deal I did not join the SEAL teams uh, for the glory of it so I could walk around with my trident go to combat and have all my buddies die for the glory of it to be to get on TED.com I did not I do not work with veterans organizations with guys that are suicidal to help raise money for them for the glory of it so I can build my brand and talk about Frog Logic I do not mentor children and teach kids and write kids books for the glory of it I do not sit there I, I wasn't a contractor I, I'm not doing any of this for the glory of it 
So what I'm starting to realize is that you're questioning my integrity. That you don't think that I can follow directions and that I'm going to intentionally lie to you about what I've said I would do. I know that's heavy. But think about it, man. This woman called me out on my honor. And so I pushed back. And so now I'm super fired. She's like, no, I'm not questioning your tech, but maybe this event is for you. And if you want to quit, David, just quit. It's no biggie on my part. We've got too many speakers anyways. And I was like, listen, I told you I wanted to do it. I want to do it. I want to be a part of it. I was, you invited, your, your sponsor invited me to do it. So I'm going to do it. Okay, fine, fine then. All right, that's great. That's great. Okay. Oh, then let's move forward, shall we? Understood. Let's just say it's understood. We're good. Uh, okay. All right. So, uh, uh, what's the title of your your thing? And I said, all right. My title, of my talk is how the positive application of pain forges elite team culture. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah, we can do that. Well, let me change. Uh, let me get rid of that. Let me just think about it. She ended up changing the title anyways later on. Again, just took out one word just to do it, to be in control. And then she's like, and I, she's like, well, all right, so how's it going? I was like, going great. I'm at about 14 and a half minutes. No, David, you have 12 minutes. That's it. And I'm serious about that. You have 12 minutes. And by now you can imagine. I'm a team guy. I'm about ready to blow a top. So all I heard when my mind was from my wife, get off the phone, get off the phone, get off the phone. So I was like, all right, Roger that. Is that all? Are we done? Yep. yep, Okay. So I'll see you at the event. Thank you. And I hung up, man. Now you can imagine I was on fire, just hammered. So I go back and I immediately go PT because when I'm on fire, I always go PT, train and, and I'm going nuts and I'm in there and I'm just like, oh, I hate her. I'm going to crush her. I'm going to, I'm going to go half an hour, (laughs) you know, all these things about getting back. Meanwhile, I'd call my wife. She's like, calm down, calm down. Just don't let her destroy the positivity of it. Find the silver lining, you know, all those things that I traditionally preach to other people, but I'm in this moment of frustration, this painful moment, and I can't break free. I got caught by the negative insurgency, right? That perpetual onslaught of negativity that seems to destroy us whenever we're not prepared. This woman drove me to that place. So meanwhile, now I'm going, I'm PT and finally I'm like, God, please, please help me understand what is the message here. And I kept saying it as I'm working out, working out. Finally, whambo. God hits me with a, a huge dose of reality. And I, I get up there and I all of a sudden it's like, you know what? This woman is my pain. She's the pain that's being impo- imposed on me in order to forge my consciousness, to reach out to my team, to help me through this thing and to be successful. It's like, aha, <laughs> all right, check, cool. So I got in a happy place and I kept working on it. So you know, all two weeks ago, leading up to this thing, I shut my calendar down. I worked on it every day. I gave it to a bunch of friends who kept helping me. And I got to this wonderful place of this talk and I felt great. And it was awesome. And I felt like I was there. It was amazing. And, and I'd sent some emails. Hey, when are we supposed to be there? When are practices, all this, and had a bunch of other kind of last minute things pop up that redirect my focus. So finally it's the day of TEDx and, and I woke up and I felt great. 
you know, I woke up and I prayed to God and I said, hey, man, let me stay in a great frame of mind all day and be happy and what an opportunity, you know, to be a part of, of Ted, although I was questioning the brand now a little bit and what was going on and, you know, hey, if they've got a person like this running this TEDx talk, how many others are running TEDx talk and do they even care? Is it more of a money thing now? But I put that all aside and I said, hey, let the Lord guide me and be faithful to my mission. And my mission was to share this talk, how the positive application of pain forges elite team culture. And I was fired up to give it. So the day of, I find, I get this call and I, meanwhile, I hadn't gotten any emails back when I'm supposed to be there. So I get a call, like text or call at 247, you're late. Where are you? And it was her assistant. So I'm like, hey, I'm in route. And meanwhile, I had already practiced the talk 10 times at home and I was crushing it, man. It felt great. It was flowing. The energy was there. I felt amazing. So I get to Meisner Amphitheater and I show up and I'm in with, they're giving this speaker's brief and I'm in there and she goes, David, I need you to wait back in a green room for me to do it with those who are late out in front of middle of everybody. I was like, I'm not going to say anything. I'm not going to do anything. <laughs> All right. So I go in the back and there's two other talkers that are there or speakers and we're just kind of hanging out and she comes in and immediately attitude and like, and I said, listen, I'm, I'm sorry. I was late. I had this other thing that I had to attend to. And, and she's like, thank you. Thank you for saying that. It's like, all right, cool. So she briefs us and it's the same thing I just heard. And like, that's it. And it's on. And meanwhile, I find out that I'm last 18 speakers. I'm last. <laughs> Go figure, right? <laughs> and the thing went from 6 to 7.30, break to 8.30, and then 8.30 to 10, supposedly. And, you you know, I mean, everything goes long in these events. So I'm last. Well, there was a drummer a lady who was after me, a real good drummer, but she, she was last. So <laughs> I'm like, check Roger. Don't let that bug you. Don't let that... So now I'm, I'm going to be there and it starts and I keep practicing. I just stay focused and I delivering it flawlessly to myself in the mirror and I'm meeting everybody and I'm shaking hands and I'm staying focused. And then all my family and friends start coming to the event and I'm seeing them and I'm high-fiving. I'm in a great mood and everything's going good, man. And then, you know, the, the night starts dragging on and dragging on and I start getting a little tired. I'm like, no, stay focused, have a cup of coffee, stay focused. And I start getting just whatever. And I start allowing as the drags and drags and drags, I start getting upset. I start getting a little angry. Like, this is bullshit. Why am I last? Why wasn't I first? Why wasn't I in the first group? Whatever. Why am I last? What's the point? Why'd she do this? Why is this lady that this? Meanwhile, I'm watching how she's handling people. And she's just a total jerk to everybody. Oh, and back up, I'd find out that from people... The preceding years I had talked to and, 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 you know, figured out, heard from that she was horrible to them too. Horrible. Just horrible person. Right. And, and maybe it's the, that, that, that whole concept that absolute power corrupts absolutely. Or maybe she's just that, that way. I don't know. Whatever it is, it's just, she, this person made this whole experience for me miserable. When it should have been one of the greatest joys in my life. That's the whole idea behind Ted, I thought. Ideas worth spreading. 
You come in, it's this inclusive environment. They're supportive of you. They want you to blossom. Meanwhile, she's tried to constrain me, keep me contained, uh, shut me down, ideas, everything from the get-go. So that starts hitting me, man. And it's 9. It's 10. They're behind. It's 10.30. Meanwhile, now I'm starting to read my speech, and I'm like, man, I'm getting angry. I'm starting to forget things. So finally, it's my turn to get on stage, and I... I walk out on stage, it's about 11 o'clock. Meanwhile, most people in the audience have left. There's only a small group, maybe 200 people. And I walk out and I get up there and I'm fired up to start. And I launch into this thing and I look up and the clock is already at like 11 minutes and 15 seconds. She had set my clock at 12 minutes and that hit me and I got angry. And let me tell you what, when you're trying to perform and that anger gets the better of you, you will shut down because your limbic system will override your prefrontal cortex. It will literally shut down how your ability to think and recall memory and all those things, short-term, long-term, everything in between. So my speech goes blank in my head after the first page. So I'm searching and I searching and I call it back and then it goes blank. And now I'm at 9.20 and I, now I'm really pissed and now I'm angry the whole thing and my speech goes blank again and, and now I'm on stage and I can't remember a thing and I'm, my head's down and I'm thinking to myself, just run off the stage, Rudd. Just run, just quit, get off the stage. And another part of me is like, no way, don't go anywhere. You stay in here until that clock runs out, even if you don't say another word. But that speech was gone from me. And I couldn't find it. So I started praying. I'm like, Lord, help me, please, right now. Give me something. And then whambo. The whole last page of of the story I tell about Mike Monsoor, a Medal of Honor winner from our unit who jumped on a grenade to save the lives of three snipers. So that story just pops in my head. And and right before that, I, I had said to the audience, I'd said, hey, I'm really struggling up here. I'm sorry. And now the audience is cheering for me and like, you can do it. You can do it. Woo, come on, you can do it. And the respect they were giving me was phenomenal. And I felt that love in the audience. It was powerful. So I tell the story of Mike's story and, and I finish and I, and I just say, thank you. I turn and I walk off the stage and I was devastated. And I was hollow. The greatest speaking failure I had experienced in 10 years of doing this. Never once before have I ever gone blank. Have I ever had not some, had nothing to say. But there, when I got off backstage sitting there, and I didn't go back to my seat because I was ashamed, and up comes the steps, the admiral, my beautiful wife, and she's crying. And she throws her arms around me, and she tells me she loves me, and it's okay. And that it wasn't that bad. She just held me and kept telling me she loved me. And it built me up. It pulled me out of the hole. And so we walk down and we walk back to our seats. And then the next person who grabs my grabs me and embraces me is this young man I've mentored for 14 years who, who mentored him through SEAL training. Now he's a, a, a glorious young SEAL in the teams and he's got an unbelievable career ahead of him. And he grabs me, embraces me, and he tells you, I love you, brother. Don't worry about it. I'm here. And I could feel his heart beating against mine. And then his mom embraced me, one of my mentors, and she told me she loved me and great job. And then my friends embraced me. And one of the guys, this guy Morton, who'd been helping me the whole time, he embraced me and told me a great job. I love you. Then another friend and another friend. 
It was amazing, but I was still, I was hammered, dog snot. So the next night, like that all night, we didn't get home till two, but I, you know, I only got to sleep for four hours and I barely slept because I was thinking about this. The next day I had to hop on a plane to go up to Chicago to participate the third year in a row as the MC for the Lone Survivor Foundation gal in Chicago. And I love doing this because we raise all kind of money for this great organization, Lone Survivor Foundation, checking out online. And as I'm sitting there waiting for the show to, for our meetings, I'm just thinking, man, I've tried to lay down to get some rest and I couldn't think it. So I had to get up and I walked down to Millennium Park, beautiful park in middle Chicago. And it's like, man, I'm sitting there at this amphitheater, the Pritzker amphitheater. And it's this Frank Geary, beautifully built thing. And I'm, I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, why did this happen? What happened? What went wrong? Why couldn't I do this? And then I was like, God, what, you know, help me, help me understand. Help me understand what went wrong. Please, I'm begging you. And then he did it. Whambo, bam. And in that moment, God helped me realize that the name of my speech is How the Positive Application of Pain Forges Elite Team Culture. And what God made aware of me, to me, was that I didn't give a speech. I lived my speech. I showed that audience my pain. The pain of forgetting, the pain of anger, the pain of, of betrayal, the pain of, of, of just all these horrible things, that negative insurgency. I showed that. I demonstrated to this audience. I was in pain. And then right afterwards, I walk off and there's my team, my elite team. And our culture is to love one another more than we love ourselves. And to be there no matter what in the worst moments for other people. And my team was there. And it was beautiful. So God gave me this answer and I'm like, my God, hallelujah. I can't believe this is amazing. And the weight was lifted. And I felt glorious and I felt strong and I stood up tall and I smiled. And, and, you know, it was unbelievable. And that night I went out in front of 700 people in the, at this gala and we raised, you know, I don't know, around $200,000, $210,000. And I was on fire as the auctioneer and the MC. And, and I brought people together and I gave them focus and I was, I crushed it. And it was that critical lesson of failure and pain that I realized was what I needed in order to succeed that next night, in order to truly love my teammates more. It's that pain that we experience. So I'm telling you, in your abyss, in your moment of failure, don't deny the pain. Accept it and realize what it's there and what's the intended purpose of that pain. And that's to get you to love your team more, to rise up and to be there for them, to accept their help in every way, shape, and form. That's the glory of it. That's the amazing thing of it. That's what pain teaches us. And it's the pain that brings us together as a team, as a family, as a brotherhood. It's that pain that cultivates great culture. It's the pain that allows us to love one another. So that's how I bomb my TED Talk, and that's what I learned. And I hope you're, you're going to gain something from this, because 
you know, normally for most people, it's not easy to share their failures. It's not easy to talk about devastation and pain and sorrow and suffering, but it is. It's necessary. And I hope this will inspire you to get out there and share your pain with other people. I hope this will get, help you, inspire you to get out there and look for those on your team who are in pain themselves and be there for them, willing and sacrifice and submit to their, their needs and be there and, and accept their pain, pull it on and let them live in that pain and learn and feel God's grace because it makes us so much better, both as individuals and as teammates. So before I, I get off the air, I thought what I'd do is I, I thought I'd read you my speech so you could hear what I intended to say, but actually lived it. And I hope you'll enjoy it because it was sure awesome getting up there and failing miserably at it. And it was sure awesome to experience the, the pain of this event. And I'm proud, I'm truly proud to have gone through that. And more importantly, I'm truly proud that I'm so loved and that my team was there for me because I love y'all. Thank you. How the positive application of pain forges elite team culture. I'm going to talk to you about a common experience shared by every person listening. Pain. We've all experienced pain physically, mentally, and emotionally. And we're going to experience a heck of a lot more before it's all said and done. Trust me. Now, the differences between our successes and our failures is how we deal with pain. From the time I was four, I've been active in a wide variety of teams and their cultures. Some championship teams and a whole lot that really, really stunk. By eight, my dream was to play quarterback at a D1 football team in college. And that dream came crashing down when the painful fear of failure stopped my plan to go from playing lacrosse at Penn State to trying to walk on the football team. I gave up on my dream because I was too frightened to compete against the freshman quarterback, who, by the way, was the number one recruited quarterback in the country. Now, the painful idea of taking a back seat and putting team ahead of self wasn't something that I could handle at that time. And that decision to quit on my, on my dream devastated my positive psychology. And as a result, I fell down a hole of destructive behavior and battled depression for years. During these painful times, I became aware of the human condition and the fact that pain is always part of our lives. While trying to figure out what was happening to me, I changed majors every semester. And thanks to some very loving, patient parents, I was able to explore art, poetry, sociology, philosophy, and psychology. By the spring of my fourth year, I'd been kicked off the lacrosse team. I was on double secret probation. I'd isolated myself from most of my teammates and friends. My solitude and the painful frustration of not finding answers had finally reached its limit. On a lonely Sunday morning at a laundromat, I sat and I watched my clothes go round and round. And then it happened. I had my first epiphany. At that instant, I went from the abyss of feeling lost to seeing the light of exactly what I needed to do. 
I realized that all my successes to date were the result of being part of a team. No matter if that team was good or bad, it was the team life that gave me strength. All my self-confidence, my ability to embrace fear, my greater sense of purpose, all a derivative of living a team-oriented lifestyle. Now, to find out who I was or what my purpose was going to be, I needed to join an elite team with great culture. So I asked myself, Elvis, where does a 225-pound college dropout go to find himself? You guessed it, the Navy SEAL teams. In November 95, I entered SEAL training, or BUDS. Basic underwater demolition SEAL training is considered by many to be the hardest military training program in the world. I mean, we have an 80% attrition rate. The program is designed to break an individual's concept of self and then rebuild it to always place team ahead of self. By doing so, the team member becomes a part of one of the most elite units on the planet and accepts a painful warrior culture as defined by thousands of years of warfare. Gerd Hofstede is considered by many to be one of the world's leading experts on national and organizational culture. He defines culture as the collective programming of the mind that distinguishes one group or category of people from another. The doctor and his team measure national and organizational culture on the basis of collective phenomena. Now think about the teams you're on now. Is your team a collective phenomena? The SEAL teams represent the outliers of this cultural phenomenon. The pain of SEAL training rewrites our cultural code and generates new team software that reboots the body, mind, and soul. I believe that to begin your cultural reprogramming, a painful awakening is needed to change your cultural commitments in order to accept team ahead of self. This happened for me in BUDS. The total time of BUDS is seven months, or in my case, 15. Remember, I needed some extra reprogramming. The secret behind my incredible cultural transformation and team commitment is simple. I stopped hiding from and began accepting the positive application of pain. Over the entirety of the BUDS program, students will run 806 miles, swim 77 miles, complete 126 hours of PT, spend 35 hours underwater diving, mostly at night, paddle rubber boats for 20 hours. Hell, we run nine miles just to eat chow. Our training evolutions have delightful names such as drown proofing, surf torture, and the infamous training we called Hell Week. Hell Week is a five-day, continuous, physical, mental, and emotional nightmare that tests every ounce of commitment you have in your body, mind, and soul. In every single evolution, there's an intended application of pain, or what renowned psychologist Dr. Charles Morgan likes to call, (laughs) ready for this, stress inoculation. Every day, we all experience some type of pain. It could be from a nagging injury, the monotony of your job, or a destructive relationship. If accepted, pain is the essential ignition point of your desire to seek help. Because nobody succeeds alone. By applying the positive pressure of pain, BUDS instructors are able to reprogram our cultural DNA, initiating a new operating system that seeks out the trust and support of our teammates. Team ahead of self. Now let's do a little survey so you can better conceptualize the magnitude of our acceptance of this pain. Now I'm going to ask you a question. If you answer yes... Answer yes. Now, to keep answering yes until I stop, until you can't anymore. 
How many people listening have stayed up for 24 hours straight? 44 hours. 64 hours. 84 hours. 94 hours. That's right. Together, we get physically and mentally hammered for 94 hours straight, sleep for two hours, go another 24 hours, sleep for two hours, and finally another 12 hours until we're secured for Hell Week. From Hell Week. One of the greatest mottos we have in special operations is the more we sweat in training, the less we bleed in war. Starting in World War II, our forefathers, the naval combat demolitions, while preparing for the D-Day invasion right up in Fort Pierce, have used Hell Week as a gate of fire for willing volunteers to pass through in order to become something bigger than themselves. The SEAL teams weld together weld together the greatest aspects of America's national culture with the historical legacy of our unit's culture in order to prepare men for the greatest mission of their lives. That mission is to protect the ideas of freedom and democracy against the perpetual onslaught of evil's negative insurgency. Think about the negative insurgency in your life. Where's your pain coming from? The fear of failure? The fear of not making enough money? Perhaps you're afraid of dying or not being loved. What links us together is this presence of pain. Now think about the cultures of your teams. Are you bonded together in your collective pain or do you remain isolated in your own fears? Are you afraid that others perceive you in a way not in line with your own perceptions? From the time we begin formulating our concept of self, negative external influences are infecting our minds like a virus. This virus builds a firewall that seems like it protects you, but instead it traps you in your own mind. I believe that in order to free yourself from the negative speak in your head, you've got to join an elite team whose collective culture is built on the constant application of positive pain. Being a part of a team that willingly sacrifices for each other enables the individual to maintain a positive perception of self. The events of 9-11 tested our collective culture as a nation, as the entire country felt its greatest collective pain of the modern era. The magnitude of this pain bonded us all. Iraq and Afghanistan called on the Special Operations Forces to accept the brunt brunt of this pain. Regardless of your personal beliefs, we accepted this challenge with a smile on our faces. Not because we have bloodlust in our hearts, but instead we want to protect a greater culture of freedom and democracy. The truth of our culture is validated on the battlefields with our blood and the blood of our enemies. Warriors accept this pain because we know it makes the team better. Team ahead of self. Over the past 14 years, the Brotherhood has lost 85 team members. 58 combat-related deaths, 17 training deaths, 6 to contracting, 3 suicides, and one of our greatest teammates was murdered while actually trying to help another vet infected with mental illness. Our painful losses are a constant reminder to us that although we operate at the most elite levels and endure the greatest challenges, the immediate and long-term effects of war affect us all, including our families. We use this pain to keep the culture of our team strong. Think about the combat of your life. Hopefully you're learning from your pain in order to inspire positive action that helps bind the culture of your team. 
Since my final deployment in 2011, I'm blessed to have found a way to refocus my pain and continue my service. My mission now is to inspire and teach others how to ignite the fire in their guts so they too can defeat the negative insurgency by accepting positive pain. Life is hard. Most of us can relate that our greatest lessons were learned the hard way. That which does not kill us only makes us stronger, right? By sharing our experience of pain and learning from our failures, we're all bonded together. When a person tries to redirect their momentum to avoid that collective pain, that bond breaks down. Ask yourselves, how could your family or professional unit become better? The key is to accept and apply a higher degree of positive pain in your lives. It's time to dramatically reduce comfort zone behavior and increase your physical, mental, and emotional training regimens. I mean, you don't need to put your family or team through hell week. Well, maybe some of you guys do. But you do need to embrace the suck a whole lot more. Remember, team ahead of self. The DNA of the SEAL team culture is defined by an individual's willingness and submission to a historical blood bond forged over 70 years of elite training and combat. This bond is the result of a perpetual application of positive pain. The derivative of this pain is our ethos etched in the DNA of the brotherhood by a sacrificial trust that ignites one of the greatest loves a human has ever known. A love so strong we're willing to die for it. In 2006, a young SEAL named Mike Mansour was operating in Ramadi, Iraq with SEAL Team 3. Mike was chosen after volunteering to extend his deployment in order to help the new team coming in country. Now, on one of their very first missions, while operating out of a sniper hide on a rooftop, Mike provided security for three Team 5 snipers. Unbeknownst to them, an insurgent saw where they were fighting from, pulled out a grenade, pulled a pin, and threw it up on that roof. That grenade hit Mike right in the chest. Ask yourself, what would you have done? Mike screamed, grenade out, and jumped on the grenade. Boom! Mike Monsoor took the entirety of that blast in his chest and his face. And he died on the medevac bird out 35 minutes later. The kicker to that story, ladies and gentlemen, is that there was a stairwell right next to Mike. And all he had to do was jump down that stairwell to save his own life. But instead, he jumped on that grenade so those three snipers could go home, hug their wives, kiss their children, and live to fight another day. Why did he accept that pain? Because he was the absolute embodiment of a seal. And it's the culture of our team to do so. To always put team ahead of self. Think about who loves you most. What type of pain are you willing to accept for them? What sacrifices are you willing to gain to earn their trust? How many of you listening have children or are madly in love? Would you jump in front of a bus to save their life today? Absolutely you would. Because you too understand the power of positive pain and its profound ability to forge the true culture of team. Now, the most successful teams in history, those with the greatest stories of overcoming the odds, all deal with their collective fears by accepting the painful process associated with achieving success and learning from their failures. This is the programming of positive pain that unites us all. 
It's the cultural coding we all share. It's what enables us to put team ahead of self. I'm your host, Navy SEAL motivational speaker, author, and performance coach, David Rutherford. Let the pain inspire you to love more. Let the pain sharpen and forge your elite team culture. Never quit on serving those who are serving you. And I promise you, you too will be able to defeat the negative insurgency. Don't ever forget, I'm your new swim buddy. Let's get motivated. Out.